Good morning, Covenant College. It's good to see you, or at least some proportion of you. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Our college, as uh, many of you probably know, is an agency of the Presbyterian Church in America. Uh, And another, oh, how interesting. And another agency of of the church uh, known as Women in the Church, or WIC, uh, several years ago, very graciously endowed in an annual lecture series that has been charged with the task of building up the church and bolstering an informed lay leadership among both men and women, and that would be you all. Uh, The lectureship has covered a a great many topics, uh, inviting a wide variety of pretty acclaimed speakers to campus. Uh, In addition to these public lectures in chapel, uh, the WIC lectures include a one-credit-hour course uh, for more in-depth study of the topics covered. Uh, the course is going to be held this evening, tomorrow evening, Saturday morning, Brock 118, 120, 122. And none of you have Valentine's Day plans. I can't think of nothing more romantic than an evening spent talking about theology and ethnography in the basement of Brock Hall. So you're all welcome. And, and about 50 of you have no choice but to be there. So Uh, The lectures uh, for this year are entitled Praying with Africans, Ethnography, Theology, and a World of Christianity. And I am very privileged to introduce this year's lecturer, Dr. Mark Gornick. Uh, There's a great deal to say about Mark, and I will spare you most of it, uh, so let him speak for himself. Uh, He's the director of City Seminary of New York, uh, which is an innovative training ground for pastors that's uniquely equipped uh, for training particularly immigrants Uh, to the United States to do ministry within the context of New York City. Uh, Before that, he was one of the co-founders of New Song Community Church in the Sandtown neighborhood of Baltimore. Uh, There he served as a pioneer in the integration of urban ministry and community development. Uh, He's continued to develop his thoughtful understanding of ministry through his graduate training and scholarship in ethnography and theology, especially seeking to understand the implications of cultural difference for the ways we experience and live out the gospel in our lives. Uh, He's written two fabulous books, uh, To Live in Peace, Biblical Faith in the Changing Inner City, and Word Made Global, Stories of African Christianity in New York City. He holds a PhD uh, from St. Andrews University and MDiv from Westminster Theological Seminary, and most importantly, uh, a BA from Covenant College. Uh, He is... He is easily one of our very most distinguished uh, alumni, and with all due respect to to Dr. Voss, uh, it's difficult to resist the urge uh, to boast about uh, Mark Gornick. Uh, It's a joy and privilege to have him uh, with us for the next several days. Uh, When we take our students to New York, uh, Mark is a a wonderful, wonderfully hospitable person who's very, very kind, and so it's a great privilege for us to host him. So please welcome. Well, uh, join me in welcoming uh, Mark Gornick. Well, thank you for letting me back. Um, uh, it's a really significant honor to be here, to be totally honest. Uh, to be back at Covenant a place that was so foundational in my life, to see the continuities, to see the differences. You know, you don't have to go to chapel as many times a week as I had to go. Um, It's gotten a little easier here. A little more electronics to get in. Um, 
You know, I really want to say that my, my life and my work stands on the shoulders of so many here um, who have founded the college and, and made it happen. And so I'm grateful. I truly am grateful. And I want to thank President Halverson and join others in congratulating uh, you on becoming the president here. Um, I want to offer my gratitude to the WIC lectures, the WIC women in the church, and the committee who invited me. And I want to thank uh, Jay Green for his friendship and his uh, kindness to me. And uh, as always, it's an immense privilege to see my friend uh, Reg McClelland here. So with the WIC lectures, here's what I want to talk about. Um, and I want to make it as personal as I can because um, I feel like I'm home and it, sharing my story will be a bit more helpful than giving you abstract principles and, and ideas. But uh, let me begin with this. Um, world Christianity, what is it? Uh, world Christianity is a shorthand way that people have come to talk about a new reality in the church, um, a reality that's probably for the first time since the early Christianity in the first, second, third, and fourth, and fifth centuries. When Christianity was thriving in Syria, what we now call Syria, Iran, and Iraq, in uh, North Africa, um, in Egypt. Um, and Christianity was a world religion. It didn't belong to one single part of the world. Um, and then we have gone through a long period when Christianity was perceived to be owned and centered in the West, in Europe and North America. Well, today things have changed, even just since I was a student here. Now Christianity is thriving and growing and the new centers of Christian faith are in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. On a Sunday morning, if you want to go to a vibrant community and worship the Lord and see people streaming in, or if you want to go on Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night for a prayer meeting or any night of the week, and you want to see where Christian faith is most vibrant and strong in the world today, it's in a mega church in a place like Seoul, Korea. Or it's in house churches that may meet in other places in Shanghai and throughout China. In a vast growth of Christianity that we really know very little about. Or it's in the uh, streets of urban Africa where you'll find Pentecostal churches on your right and on your left. Or it's in Latin America, in the favelas, in the shanty towns, but also in the wealthier parts where Christianity is growing. The new centers of Christianity and the vibrancy of faith and the theological issues and the leadership and the dynamics have shifted from the West to now many centers, to Africa, to Asia, to Latin America, to cities. And in fact, if in the next month or so, the Catholic Church appoints someone like Cardinal Turkson to be from Ghana to be the next Pope, which is possible, I suppose, then you'll see recognition by all corners of the church that the, the Christian has really changed. So what I want to talk about is how did I come to live into this new reality? Grounded in the Reformed faith, evangelical tradition, how did I come to understand myself to be part of that wider body of Christ? How does the growth of Christianity around the world impact me? How do I live into that? What difference does it make in my life, in my Christian life, in my theological life, for my family, for my vocation? How does that come and impact me? So what I want to talk about is, whatever the titles are of my uh, lectures and time here, 
I want to talk about a set of practices that I've been able to reflect upon that have been important to me and to our seminary community in New York City. And the practice that I want to talk about today is the practice of pilgrimage, of entering into a new space as a learner and not as a judge. I arrived in New York City 15 years ago, having been involved in church and community development work in Baltimore. My assignment was to begin a sister church in Harlem. Lots to do. Uh, the neighborhood was pretty much abandoned. Uh, most of the buildings were vacant um, when we got there in 1998. And so we went to work building a community, building a church, New Song Community Church in central Harlem, and uh, helping to rebuild a neighborhood, playing a small role, but I think an important one. But I soon noticed something very different in Harlem from my experiences in Baltimore. Although on paper, the two neighborhoods, Harlem and Sandtown, were very similar, differences abounded. Baltimore was very isolated, and still is, from the larger world. And people were and are still leaving Baltimore City. Um, there's not a lot of love there, although I would say, go Ravens. In Harlem, however, and the neighbor where our church is, I heard many languages, in including Wolof, French, and Twi. Now these languages are from Senegal, Ivory Coast, and Ghana, perhaps. And as I began to observe my new community, I saw that the people of the world had come to New York City. And I wondered then, as a question, as an intellectual question, you know, the kind that you're supposed to come up with, I just wondered if Africa was experiencing the most significant growth of Christianity in history. And I mean, you know, you realize that the early church, estimates are by the end of the first century, there was maybe 10,000 Christians. It took two or three centuries for there to be a larger percentage of the population than even that, you know, than a few percent. Africa, in 1900 or so, had about 8% of its population was Christian. Today, it's, the continent is considered 50 to 51% Christian. That's the biggest growth, the most significant growth over a short period of time in Christian history. And so I wondered, if they're moving that quickly, perhaps some of the new Africans who are moving to New York City are doing so with Christian backgrounds. A little demographic work, and I learned that there was... Of eight and a half million people in New York, maybe 100,000 new African immigrants. And most of the ones in Harlem are uh, Muslim. But I wondered, are any going to church? And if they are, are there any particular congregations that they're becoming a part of? So with a little homework, I learned of an Ethiopian congregation in the Bronx. And I decided to find my way there. It was 2001, before 9-11. Um, I got off the subway... It was a very quiet Sunday morning, even in the Bronx. And as I walked from the subway stop to the church, my thoughts began to turn to what would await me. Something new, something unexpected. I wasn't sure even what to, to know. And soon I came to the Emmanuel Worship Center, a congregation of Ethiopian Christians. The building was a converted bar, a potent symbol of being born again in the city. The church had been born again. It was no longer the Ethiopian Evangelical Church, but they had recently changed their name to the Emmanuel Worship Center, to the nations, and therefore two services, the first one in English, the second one in Amharic. The first service was in English, and it opened with a reading of Hebrews 9, 11 to 14. 
The same blood of Jesus that enables us to enter God's presence, Assistant Pastor Mesvin proclaimed, we are all guided into prayer. It's our blood. We've been guided into prayer through the blood of Christ. Led by a keyboard player playing two sets of keyboards and a guitar player and an amazing team of vocalists, the church was led in a jubilant season of praise to God. No opening hymns, no formal liturgy that it seemed to me, but together with little pause between them, we sang, there is power in the blood, in the name of Jesus, trading my sorrows, and sanctuary. Um, around this time, Pastor Mulu Getu, the senior pastor, comes forward. You are holy, he proclaimed, of God, and also sufficient and the one who provides. Nothing is impossible with you. The congregation is invited to share their needs so that they can be prayed for. The God who breaks the yoke, in Jesus' name, these are phrases that are proclaimed and repeated over and over again. The sermon begins with a reading of John 15, 1 through 17, the story of the vine and the branches. This will change your life, Pastor Mulugetu states. The branches depend on the vine. Jesus is the true vine, and we are the branches. By faith, Jesus is everything for us. The text and the applications flowed. Not exactly the sermon style I grew up as a Presbyterian. Um, Acts 1.8 teaches us that the Spirit gives strength, power, and ability, he proclaimed. Isaiah 46 informs us that God will carry you on eagle's wings. He's soaring as a preacher. 1 Corinthians 6.19 emphasizes that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the sermon was done, or so I thought. Perhaps it was intended for my hearing as the only white person present. But the pastor had something else to say, and it was a question. Is Jesus black or white? His answer was, who cares? Jesus died and rose. Yes, he took refuge in African soil, but he is Lord of all, the Alpha and the Omega, the lily of the valleys. When we wake up, he said, we should read the Bible first, not listen to the bad news on the television. And by the way, now I still remember that almost every day when I reach for my phone to look at my emails or look at the news when I first wake up and I think I should be looking at my Bible first. Let the word give encouragement, he said, and success, he proclaims. Let it live in you and bear fruit. So that sounds like a good way to end the service, right? You're gonna ha you have a great sermon, take the offering, everybody goes home. So, but Pastor Mulugetu called forward one of the young people in the church and handed her his Bible and he told her to do something rather unexpected, at least to me. He told her to take the Bible and begin running around the church. So imagine if I called one of you randomly out of the service and handed you my Bible, which is right there, and I said, start running around the chapel. What would you do? Be maybe a little hesitant? You'd run away, you'd go out that way? <laughs> So, tentatively, she began to walk down the aisle. Perhaps she had no choice, because I later learned that it was a pastor's daughter. <laughs> run with the gospel, he exclaimed. Run with the gospel. She started to run, a little bit at a time. 
Then he asked all the children in the church, some 20, to get up and also to run. Run with the gospel, he shouted. Hesitancy soon turned to smiles and laughter, and the children began running through the church with the gospel. Soon, Pastor Mueller got to join them, and the running sped up. The sanctuary was like a racing track. Everyone was laughing and, and full of joy. And the whole church, from the youngest to the oldest, was running with the gospel. I, too, joined in and ran around the sanctuary. Together, we had run with the gospel. Now, as I left Emmanuel Worship Center later that day, I knew something significant had taken place in my life. Was it the power of the Spirit present in the service? Was it the potential of new friends that I had just made? I was fairly new to New York City. Was it a greater sense of the body of Christ? I knew that this was the beginning of something that would be important in my life, and that God had brought me here. One of the things I did was ask Pastor Mulegeta if he knew of any other African churches in the city. He knew of one in Brooklyn. wasn't even sure of the name, but I found it through him, and I visited. This church, the Redeemed Christian Church of God International Chapel, had reclaimed, or rather was reclaiming, an old warehouse. When I would visit them in winter, um, it was a warehouse in, in Brooklyn, and uh, to heat it, they had kerosene heaters. It was a dirt floor. The ceiling was, was, uh, was not present. There was hardly any walls. And they were heating with kerosene heaters in New York City. Um, the abandoned warehouse was on a mostly vacant block in Brooklyn. The worship was powerful, and the congregation and pastoring were most welcoming. Um, it was another great confirmation um, and a success if I was trying to answer this question, were any Africans in New York City Christian and where were they worshiping? So I had my answer. Something was happening. But it wasn't the church visit that had the most significant impact. I still remember what happened next when I returned home later that evening. Out of curiosity, I looked up the name of the church, the Redeemed Christian Church of God, in an, an Oxford published encyclopedia that talks about Christianity throughout the world. Some big red books. Um, they probably have them in the library here. I'm sure they do. And I had a set of them next to our, our kitchen. I had little, we had a little room next to our kitchen. Still have that um, in our apartment. And I had them on the shelf. And I pulled them out. And I went to Nigeria and thought, I'll look if, there's a, if this church is listed here. Maybe I'll find a little bit about them. Turned out the church I worshipped in was part of a network of more than 3,000 Redeemed Christian Church of God churches in Nigeria alone, with branches in other parts of the world. It turned out that that morning I had worshipped in one of the first branches of the Redeemed Christian Church of God in North America. At the time, I believe they probably had maybe 30 to 40, maybe 50 maximum in the United States. And one of the first ones was this parish, and the first one was in New York City, had been in New York City a few years earlier. Uh, today, by the way, um, about 10 years later, there are 500, more than 500 redeemed parishes throughout the United States. I think at this moment, I realized that the two churches I had visited were windows on a much bigger world than I had imagined. There were windows not just on Christianity from Africa or the whole idea that mission and migration were the primary way that God was working for the world today, but on the gospel in our times. Over the next 10 years, um, I would come to see that there were not just one or two 
or even three or 10 African churches in New York City, but some 200 communities of faithful believers from Ethiopia, from Ghana, from Nigeria, from Liberia, from the Congo, and, and much more. And African churches, I learned, were a window into an even larger movement among Asian, Latin American, Caribbean believers and Christians. And African Christians represented the diaspora dimension of a world Christianity. It felt like I was living in the first century, the church expanding through cities, crossing boundaries of culture and geography. The gospel and the power of the spirit was occurring all around me. All I had to do was observe what was happening around me. Um, I think this was an invitation to so many different things. Uh, one of them was an invitation to read the gospel afresh. Um, in Luke 24, we read um, that Jesus has characterized his mission and his resurrection as bringing forth a new reality. And he announces that he has come to bring good news. And then as he has ascended, uh, as he gets ready to ascend, he says, stay here, stay in the city that you may receive power from on high. And there was great joy in the city. So I've come to read the gospel afresh. I've come to understand my vocation and my calling afresh. I've come to learn how to pray in a different way than I ever had imagined. And I think the reason was because of pilgrimage, entering into a new space where our stories can come together forming a new story, coming as a learner, not to judge, but to learn. Um, the differences that I found in the way that I worshiped, the way I understand theology, the way I understood the cosmos and everyday life came to some different understandings. But I learned that difference is not the same thing as otherness, that there's no need to be treating fellow brothers and sisters as if what they're doing is wrong and what I had was right, but to come to a new understanding of what God is doing in all of our stories. Emmanuel Katangale talks about pilgrimage as, um, as a new way of being in mission, and I, I think he's right. Emmanuel Katangale has been recently at uh, Duke, and now he's at Notre Dame. And Emmanuel has said that uh, if we really want to know our brothers and sisters, if we really want to know our world, then we need to engage in pilgrimage. That is, we need to go to places and feel the dust beneath our feet. We need to hear the hunger pains that others have. We need to be close enough to people that we can understand what they're going through and hear from human contact. Um, I learned in a pilgrimage in my own city, in my own backyard, and it's become a way of life and a way of our seminary's experience of understanding God. Um, I think the more that we are open, the more we're open about ourselves, the more we understand ourselves, the more we can be open to what God is doing with others. Um, I went to an Ethiopian congregation wondering if there was a church in the city, and I came away, an African church, and I came away changed. I pray differently, I see differently, I think I parent differently, and I've understood my calling differently. And I think it's all because um, that uh, I stopped and instead of trying to do something, I just observed what God was doing in the city. Um, that's my story. And I want to talk tomorrow a bit about how the more we know ourselves, 
then that's a strong point. That becomes a strength. The more we're confident in our faith. And I'll talk tomorrow a bit more about how covenant shaped me and how I believe that it's the foundation that I got here at Covenant College that gave me the thread to work in all these different fields, from community development to building housing to planting churches and now to working um, as a pastor and as a theologian, as a, primarily now as an educator in New York City. How covenant was my foundation for this world of Christianity. So what I want to do now is to simply say to you, I invite you um, not to do what I did particularly, but I invite you in your own way to find yourself on a pilgrimage, to find your own opportunities to experience brothers and sisters who are different from you and to learn from them, to listen. Um, I'm just getting started and it's been now over 10 years and uh, I'm still learning and still grateful and still thankful for the spirit of God at work in New York City. Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for um, our time together. Thank you for what you're doing around the world. And we thank you for what you're doing here in cities around the world and that we can be a part of that story. Lord, we know from um, the book of Hebrews that our uh, journey, our life is a pilgrimage to a city that is yet to come. We thank you, Lord, that we do not take this journey alone, but we do it with the communion of saints and with one another, past, and present, and future. Thank you for making us part of your story in this time, in this place. In Christ's name we pray, amen.